2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. Verse 1, I'm reading out the Amplified. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David was in covenant with King Saul's son, the next who chronologically would have been the next one in line for the uh, throne. But because of Saul's action, Jonathan lost his opportunity to be king. But he still made a covenant. A covenant is a is an agreement of the heart that's stricken by blood and will not. Uh, how do I say it? Will not be broken until the time of death. So <clears throat> we'll start again. And David said, is there any still left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And of the house of Saul, there was a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had, had called him to David, he said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I, I your servant, am he. I don't know why people can't just say, yes, me, that's me. Number three, the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the unfailing, unsought, and unlimited mercy and kindness of God? And Ziba replied, Jonathan has yet a son who is lame in his feet. And the king said, where is he? And Ziba replied, he is in the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, don't you just love these names? I remember, see, I was raised during that time when everybody was Billy and Joe and Susie. And, and today we've got Apple and Blanket and all kinds of crazy names. And Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. In other words, he, he bowed himself. David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, your servant. David said to him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table. And the cripple bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. And you shall till the land for him, you, your sons, and your servants. You will bring in the produce that your master's heir may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat always at my table. In other words, he's setting up a system to take care of Mephibosheth's family so that they're taken care of. Mephibosheth himself will never lack for he will always eat at the king's table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he had plenty of people to take care of this task. 
Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do according to all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in Ziba's house were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and even though he was lame in both feet. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. I ask, Father, that you'd help me now to communicate your word in a timely fashion and in a bold fashion, Father, so that we can extract the truth from it. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name and all the saints said, amen. amen. So <clears throat> David is now king. His first act was to bring the presence or the Ark of the Covenant back into the kingdom, and then he goes on his next mission. The first thing is to give God the glory that God deserves and the proper placement and the proper uh, position in the kingdom where he belongs. How many knows that God belongs at the highest place in your kingdom? in the kingdom he's entrusted you with. You're the king. You're a king. We're kings, right? And Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the one that anointed us so. And I have this, this kingdom to rule. I ain't got time to try to fix your kingdom because mine's so broke, it takes a lot of work. Come on. And so I'm the king of my kingdom underneath Jesus Christ. And so now David is king, and he's putting, this is a type and a shadow for us, he's putting God in the exalted place. If you want to have a life and a kingdom that, that will produce and change lives and touch hearts in a very powerful way, put the presence of God in the proper place in your life, and that is in the highest place of order in your life, and you will find that it will be well with you all the days of your life. If you believe that, slap your neighbor a high five and say, hot dog, we're in church. He's gathered great wealth. Now, this has happened since, since the fall of Saul. He's already been in a couple battles. And he's amassed great wealth from, from the enemy's spoils of battle. He's proven himself as a worthy and honorable man, a worthy opponent in battle. Don't mess with David. He's bad. Now he's ready to prove he is a worthy king. If I was going to uh, title this message today, and that's what I'm doing right now, is loyalty is not overrated. Loyalty is not overrated. His first act as the leader of Jerusalem and Judah, he's now got the entire kingdom, was to endear himself to his followers. And so he was looking for someone from Jonathan's lineage to show kindness to. Don't you love people who keep their word? This was an agreement when Jonathan knew that he would never make it to the throne. He says, when you make it, David, please be kind to my children. Please be good to my family, David, when you become king. This was a, an agreement made between two men who were in a covenant relationship. So he's looking for someone in Jonathan's lineage to show kindness to. I don't know if you understand this or not, but covenant runs deep. Covenant runs deep. When you make a covenant relationship with someone, it's, how do I say it? It's irreversible. 
If one party or the other reverses the agreement between you in a covenant relationship, the covenant can be repaired, but it will always suffer a scar. It will always have some uh, reminder of the brokenness of the promises that were made. Are you following me? This is why in the Word of God, marriage is set up on the covenant principle. When we say yes to that other person on the other side of marriage, we're saying yes forever. We're saying yes. Now, many of us in this life, we make that covenant before we even understand covenant. We make that covenant while we're still B.C., before Christ. We make that covenant before we've ever come to God and even have a, the slightest understanding. So let me say this. If there's ever been a covenant breach in Christ, if you've been out here before Christ and now you're in Christ, trust me, it can be brand new. It can be as if nothing ever happened. God's the only power that can heal that kind of a, a, a heartache, that kind of a breaking, that kind of a broken promise. And so covenant runs deep. That's why covenant was always a signature of blood. I won't go into all of that. Even the marriage uh, covenant is a covenant cut in blood. Aren't you glad we don't make you bleed at the altar when we marry you nowadays? But, but in ancient times, it was always a covenant of blood. But David was working beyond covenant here because Jonathan is dead. Well, a covenant agreement is over when one party of the agreement dies. When one party of the agreement dies, the other person is no longer obligated to the covenant. Here's the beautiful heart of David. David's no longer in covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan is gone. But David remembers a promise made while he was in covenant that he's just not willing to break. I love David's character. He made some horrendous mistakes. But I love the heart of the man, that he wants to be honorable. He wants to be loyal to the things that he has said. In this life, and this is one of the things I love about, about uh, the Haney's. I love about uh, everybody that's on my staff, Steve and Rob. There's a loyalty there. Not because I'm such a wonderful person, but they see the vision. They know the heart. They know where we're headed. And there's a loyalty to get the vision that God has given to this entire congregation to the finish line. And I love that kind of a loyalty. And David is keeping this promise now. Even though Jonathan is dead and the covenant should have ended in death, David is keeping a promise to someone that he loved. Now, this is in the Word. He loved more than his wives. Of course, he had so many of them. I can kind of see that. <laughs> we don't, we don't have, gentlemen, aren't you glad you only have one woman? <laughs> I heard an amen. Somebody's in trouble in this room. What happened between... David and, and Jonathan was a true connection. Now, this is not a word you find in the Bible. It's a word that you often hear in Christian realms. What they had was a soul tie. They were tied together by covenant. They were tied together by same mindset, same loyalty. Now, I don't know if Jonathan would have been as lenient and as 
honorable as David was, but David was going to make sure he didn't let down his end of the agreement. He was tied to this man. He loved this man even more than his wives. He loved the friendship. And that just tells you, this isn't a weird thing, gentlemen. Let's not, let's not turn this into something weird. Society has tried to pervert this. But men's hearts can be melted together, knitted together, so that we're on the same page, going the same direction, backing each other's play, having each other's back. I was on the phone, uh, I got to hurry, but I was on the phone the other night with a friend that I, that I went to high school with. And my friend and I live in two different worlds. And I'm not, I'm not um, demeaning or putting down, but we just live in two separate worlds. And, of course, mine's all wrapped up in God. And I was on the phone with him the other night because I had a need. And I called him, and the first thing out of his mouth, he says, yeah, I don't do that particular thing anymore. He says, I kind of retired. He said, but, but because you need it, I'm there. Whew. We signed that covenant a long time ago. We were just goofy kids. B.C. We were wild and crazy. You know, we used to get caught by our parents holding the other one's paraphernalia. One time I took a good one for him. I crawled into the car, and his mom had caught him with his, his chew. And so he handed it over the seat to me, and he goes, uh, here's your chew. It was in my pocket. <laughs> I said, thank you, all sheepishly. And then I got a lecture for the next 15 minutes from his mother over how bad that chew is. It wasn't mine. I didn't chew. I know that's a really pitiful case, but that's covenant. You stand with each other. You have each other's back. And had we both understood Christ at that time, maybe we wouldn't have been in that position. We did all kinds of crazy things. I won't get any deeper with it, but we did all kinds of crazy things together. But still to this day, here we are in our 60s, and to this day, that covenant is the same between us, even though we've lived different lives in different worlds. So David is keeping a promise. They thought alike, him and Jonathan. Their relationship, as far as David was concerned, was deeper than his own kinsman. Jonathan had helped him escape death from his father on many occasions. How could you not love a man like that? They had fought together in battle. They ate at the king's table together because David was brought to the table like a son. They were brother-in-laws by marriage. And he was still grieving the loss of Jonathan. So he wanted to carry out his promise to not destroy Jonathan's legacy, but to preserve it. To build a memorial to a dear friend. And Mephibosheth was his opportunity to prove his loyalty to his friend who was no longer here. To build a memorial to Jonathan. Mephibosheth was crippled from his youth, injured by a nursemaid in a panic caused by an enemy attack. How I many knows that when the enemy attacks, you grab the little ones and you run? 
And when the handmaid fell on him, she crushed his feet and his ankles in an accidental stumble while feeling, fleeing uh, with him to get him protected from harm. Have you ever been crushed by someone who loved you? I'm making a point here. He walked all the days of his life, what little he could walk, in a very crippled situation because someone who loved him dearly, trying to help him, crushed him. And sometimes the people who love you most can crush you the most in this life. Sometimes the people who, who, you, who, who have your back, sometimes when, when they have a moment, they can crush you, they can hurt you, they can scar you, they can cause you to limp for the remainder of your life. It's why it's very, very important for us to keep covenant. It's why it's very, very important for us to have each other's back. It's why we need to watch the tone in which we talk to somebody else. It's why we need to watch how, how we communicate one with another. It's why we should always get on the phone when we're in question about a text message. Because I don't know how many people have gotten into feuds and fights by not knowing the heart of the person on the other end. They only took the words, and the words weren't in what was really intended. And they get crushed. And lives get ruined, and covenants get broken sometimes because we misunderstood something. Have you ever been wounded by someone else's fear? Boy, have we been through a season of fear in the last two or three years. And I have to get tickled now, now that the CDC and different ones have said you don't have to wear a mask. And I see people sitting in the car by themselves with a mask on. I get like, well, what are you afraid of? I'm not being ugly. I'm just being truthful. It's already said it's not that big a deal. Take the mask off. It ain't helping you. And I see them in the car, and my heart, I don't, I don't make fun in the sense that, the, that I'm against them. It's more like, Lord, deliver them from this fear that they don't have to live their life bound up in fear of any kind. Have you ever had your future altered by someone else's misfortunate stumble? Sometimes someone in your life that you look up to can stumble before you, and it will cripple your heart. It'll cripple your mindset. I'll be very, very careful, and I won't say names, but I used to have a favorite preacher that I loved. Man, I love this guy. Preach. Come on, preach. And he's still a great man of God. Don't misunderstand where I'm going. God is in the restoration business. But this great man fell into sexual misconduct and devastated for several years all that had been built in his ministry because he hadn't checked, he had checked all the boxes of character but this one. Anthony, that's why it's so important that I've watched your life. That's why I'm happy to ordain you all today because I've watched your life. I know that what you would do. I know what you would say. I know how you would push the enemy away. It's very, very important that when we stand in this place, those of us who've been anointed to preach and to, to be the focal, 
part of the body. Not more important, just the part that helps train. Not more important. Well, it, it, it's twice as much responsibility on us to not do stupid, goofy things, to wound others and hurt others and cause problems. And so many people are, are hurt by these things. That great minister that I was telling you about has now been restored, back, moving. Ministry is, is, is alive and well. But unfortunately now, because of you know, so many years of trying to overcome that, that one failure in, in his life, uh, he's now almost so old, he's almost out of the game. And I don't mean that in a, anyway, we're never out of the game, but I'm just saying as far as prominence and ever standing on the same platforms that he stood in the past, it's probably never going to happen. And so it's devastating when we do these kind of things. And I've heard so many people in conversations when we're talking about men of God, I'm talking about people who are teetering on the edge or maybe just on the outside looking in, who that name, that pastor's name is the first one that comes to their lips when they have something critical to say about the church. They got crippled because someone, someone's stumble crippled them. Mephibosheth was grandson to the king. Grandson to the king. He was Israeli royalty, a future nobleman, possibly a future king, a warrior and a champion who never was. For with his feet and ankles, he could not support himself. Hmm. He was really reduced to little more than a beggar. He really cannot work a trade. And no one wants a crippled king. One day his worst fear is realized. His family has lost the royal heritage. His father is now gone. His grandfather is gone. Their legacy is over. He no longer has rights to kingly favors. Is this okay? He no longer has rights to kingly favors. He's little more than a beggar now. And here he is. And he gets a message. David, the king, wants you to appear before him. Now listen. In times of antiquities, Israel's, Israel's really new at this whole kingship thing. But in time of antiquity, when a king comes down and a new king is seated in other nations during this time, the other king's entire family is wiped away, taken off the map, no longer to exist, so that there'll never be a rebellion against the current king. So you can imagine what Mephibosheth is feeling in his heart right now. Can you imagine the fear? He's thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. They're going to kill me. They'll just do it in a kingly fashion, but they're going to kill me. They're probably not going to shoot an arrow through my heart. They're probably going to take my head off because that was the way you took someone's honor in the times of antiquity. 
So he's thinking, I'm dead. He's mad at me because of my grandfather's pursuit of him. I'm sure he was practicing in his mind, have mercy on me, I'm crippled. Have mercy on me, I'm crippled. Have mercy on me, I'm crippled. Have mercy on me, I can't stand up. I can't bring you any harm, David. There's nothing I could do to ever hurt you. And my, my, mind, my mind is not here to make war with the king. I'm sure he was rehearsing these things. How often have you rehearsed these things when you come to the king? How often have you come to the king and go, Lord, forgive me about that last thing I just did? Lord, I know I'm not enough, but here I am. And so Mephibosheth is in this place of great fear. Verse 7, he says this, The first thing the king said to him was this, Do not fear. He hadn't even opened his mouth yet. He hasn't made his case yet. But the very first thing the king said was, Don't fear. He knew, King David knew why he, why he would be feeling the way he's feeling when he's facing him. So he says, Do not fear, because I will be kind to you because I loved your father. And then he said this to him, you now get the inheritance of all of your family's wealth and land, complete with servants to work it for you. And a place always like a son at the king's table. He came in fearing death and was handed a blessing. I don't know how y'all sit there. Mm, they don't give me enough room up here. We've got to get some running room. One week, one week. And I'll have 8,000 square feet to run around in. It's awesome. So think about that offer. Doesn't that sound like your heavenly father, our king? I'm going to show you favor and give you an inheritance and a position as though you were royalty. How many of us came to the king crippled? Can I dare say all? All of us crippled. All of us unable to fulfill anything in this life because without him we're incomplete. But with him all things are possible. Think about God and his mercy towards you, and the offer he made you when you approached the throne and felt like this will surely kill me. How many of your friends who are just a little bit on the outside looking in, when you mention, hey, come to church with me, they go, oh, I can't go in there. The roof will fall on me. And now that's a joke, tongue in cheek, but in their heart they really do feel that way. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. My, my actions don't measure up to what I think God would want from me. And so they're afraid to enter, not knowing that his mercy is far greater than your mess. Far greater. No matter how crippled you are, he'll pick you up. He'll carry you. He's got you. So think about that offer. He's going to treat you like your royalty. In verse 8, he's already rehearsed this so much that he hadn't had time to even process that the king just told him, I'm going to restore everything to you. You're going to eat at my table. Don't be afraid. I've got you. He's probably wondering if this is not a trick. 
So he hasn't had time for it to really soak in. And in his lowest position of humility, Mephibosheth has been rehearsing his thoughts of himself to the king. And he says, why would you favor such a dead dog as I? Look at his opinion of himself. Even though he was born royalty, because of his weakness, he sees himself as worthless. Now, you guys are here. A dead dog. You know, there's nothing more sobering than to run down the highway and see someone's loved animal laying alongside the road. That's sobering to me. I'm not one of those people that's like, eh. I, when I see that, my heart goes out to whoever owned that animal because it's going to be a heartbreak to them. It's going to be a heartbreak. I know we can get too wrapped up in our animals, but, but we all have the animals that we love, right? And, and so we try to take care of them. And, but I've thought about that on several occasions. You, you see an animal laying there in its vulnerability. It's over. It's done. It's broken. I won't go any further than that, but you know what happens. And I'm thinking, what causes a man to consider himself as little more than a, a dog dead beside the road? I have no worth. I can't do anything. I'll never be able to measure up to what you need from me. I'm just crippled. My limbs don't work. I can't build. I can't fix. I can't do anything that's productive. So many people suffer from the dead dog mentality. Their emotions are wrapped up in, I'm nothing but a dead dog. And we never understand the offer of the king because we got such a low opinion of ourselves that we can't possibly think that the king could value me. Can I tell you something? The king is loyal to his word, like David, because he promised Eve, Eve, one day, your seed, one day, your seed will crush the assignment that happened in this garden and reach back as far as to where you are and into the future of the sounding of the trump and redeem whomsoever will. Mm. I can think about this, and it's, I'm at the end of my notes here. Please bear with me. I've only got 13 pages. I've got to hurry, but I also don't want to cut short the anointing. Listen, we see ourselves as a dead dog often in life. Adam 
Remember Adam in the garden? He fell. He was sinful now, had never known what sin felt like. He now was a man of treason. He now was a wounded animal. Yet where was the father? The father didn't miss his appointment with Adam. Even though he sensed immediately something had died. He didn't miss his appointment. He strolled through the garden going, Adam, where are you? Adam, my heart's looking for you. Adam, I know something's wrong. But don't be afraid of me. Where are you? We're always afraid of the correction. We're always afraid there will be a punishment. We're always too afraid to approach what we have done, so we make excuse. That woman you gave me. Come on. Talk about throw your wife under the bus. I was doing good till you brought her along. And what did the father do? Listen to me. Listen close. What did the father do? He covered. He didn't, he didn't remove everything at that moment, but he covered with innocence. With innocence, he covered their failure. With innocence, he covers your failures. It's as if you never sinned. So why is the world always pushing God away? Why not run into him? It's as if you never sinned. Look at this. Mephibosheth, although he was born into royalty, he saw himself helpless, worthless, and as a waste of time. I've had people tell me that. Oh, God wouldn't waste his time on me. Oh, yes, he would. Oh, yes, he would. He created time just so he could get to you. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. His self-image was shattered like his feet and his ankles. But you're more than your outer makeup. You're more than your emotional scarring. You're more than your last mistake. You're more than your last sin. Because we have a God who not only forgives and keeps forgiving and keeps forgiving and keeps forgiving. He covers us in innocence. Mm -hmm. He covers us. He's bought us with a price. He came and became the creation so that he could defeat the enemy for man and gave his blood to redeem me 
from my miserable failure to try to be good. I don't have to try to be good. I am good. I don't have to put a lot of effort into it anymore, Matthew, because I am good. Not by my own merit, but by his. And it's so much more freeing. Because my mind don't have to be pressured. My mind doesn't have to work. I don't have to conjure up something. I don't even have to know how to pray right. So many people, you hand them a mic to pray. They just get nervous. I can't pray. And they'll go. You hand it back and they go. Because they think there's a formula to praying right. No, no, here's the formula. God. I need you. I'm a mess. I'm broken. Look at these ankles. They can't hold me. Without you, I am nothing. And you already know that. So here I am. And the hardest thing for us all to do, especially one-to-one with other humans, but to God, sometimes it's even worse. Well, here's what I did. And we're waiting for a lightning bolt, I think, from heaven. But that's because you don't know the heart of Father God. You know what he does? Pastor Steve, if you'll help me. When we come, yeah, you can come up here. When we come in, what is this anyway? Coffee, I love it. It's a church stable. All right. You're God. I come to you. But Father... That's what I've done. That's it. That's it. He takes it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Wow. That was totally unscripted. Wasn't that awesome? Oh, we got to hurry. It's 15 minutes past. But aren't you glad for a king of his word? Where loyalty runs deeper than self-image. That his word was his bond. We're talking about David here. But you can see the parallels as I'm speaking. That he makes provision for you in your weakness. To provide for you all the days of your life. To seat you as royalty with him. When all you can see is your perceived worthlessness. Turn to your neighbor real quickly and say, you are not a wounded animal. You are not second class. You are not what others perceive. You are not worthless to the king. Oh, for as God made Adam that promise, one day your enemy will crush Satan's head. The son, S-O-N, kept the father's word to us because of his loyalty to the father. He came and walked among our brokenness and felt the compassion of his father's heart for the lost and the hopeless. Can I tell you something, Pastor Steve? When we talked about souls and you begin to weep. Here, this man is tired. He may have just been broke down from exhaustion. I don't know. But he was tired. He was, he, he's been working on a wounded knee. 
But when I mentioned that room and thanking him, he gave all the glory to God. And he said, it's about souls. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's agenda, not mine. Think about this. Think about it. Think about that. God is doing something exceedingly, abundantly, above all. He doesn't see you as a lame, wounded animal. No, God is a promise keeper. Mm -hmm. Wow. And like, oh, I know what I was getting to when I mentioned this, Steve. Let me finish this, and then I'll finish. I'm on my final note. No, this is, there'll only be one closing today. When Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth in the compassion of the Father. I and the Father are. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. What flowed out of Steve that day was compassion. Yeah, this is tearing my body up. But there's a soul here that's the same heart of Jesus. It's killing me. This is killing me. But there's a soul. Someone needs this. And like King David, Jesus extended his scepter towards us, granting favor for as long as we shall live if we'll just dare to believe that grace opens the door to be swept into the kingdom of favor in exchange for my worthless condition of brokenness and disease. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Like King David, he extended his scepter towards us, granting favor for as long as we shall live, if we shall just dare to believe that grace opens the door to be swept into the kingdom favor in exchange for my worthless condition of brokenness and disease. Loyalty is filled with grace and greatness like King David. I want to rule my kingdom here on earth with a heart like David. I will be loyal to the kindness, the mercy, and the favor and grace. Lord Jesus, you have shown me. Teach me how to treat this Mephibosheth world around me so that I may encourage someone else that greatness lies in the house of God. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, I pray for these that endured for a little extra time today, but God, I just ask, Lord, that you'd be with us. Strengthen us in the inner man, Father. As we're about to head, Father, into the next step of our destiny as a church, God, let us never, ever forget that it's about souls. Let us never, ever forget your mercy, your kindness extended to us. Help us to approach our world, Father, 
not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but out of humility. Help us to accurately represent the heart of Father God like Jesus did. Help us, Father, in the areas where we're still Mephibosheths. Take my weakness, take my brokenness, and remove it as far as the east is from the west. Take the sin nature out of my life that I may live upright and holy and pure all the days of my life.